this is Jordan Beal. Welcome to the Rock of Grace podcast from our Kinsman campus. We are passionate about leading people to follow Jesus together, and we're so glad that you're opening the Word of God with us today. I pray God speaks to your heart. All that you are doing in this amazing season uh, called Christmas, Lord, we give you these gifts. Lord, this, this is yours. It all belongs to you. God, we know that we are just stewarding it anyway, so thank you for the opportunity to give you back, Lord, our first fruits, and may you be glorified in it. In Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. Well, listen, because of your faithfulness and generosity, we have some cool news that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share next week. <laughs> just thought that would be fun. Probably not the appropriate thing to do, but it's fine. All right. Um, open your Bibles to uh, Ephesians. And then also flip over to Hebrews 1. And if you got another bookmarker, you can also hold your finger at Isaiah 7. And we're going to open up, we're going to be looking at this, this verse where Jesus said these incredible words. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And as I was praying about what, what are we going to study for Christmas besides the obvious Christmas story... Is there something you want to say, right? Holy Spirit, what do you want to say to Rock of Grace this month? And I so clearly heard him say that Jesus is the way. Everybody say the way. The truth and the life. And so this week we're talking about Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way, all right? So I want to open up with this, a story where I just want to make fun of myself. Is that okay? Does anybody else have a terrible sense of direction? Come on. Thank you, Michelle. I appreciate that. Don't you guys think it's funny that God puts, the way God puts people together? Because my wife's like, north, you know? And I, I can't do that. And uh, God's like, you see these two people, you know? <laughs> she has a good sense of direction. He doesn't. Let's make them married, you know? He's an early bird. She likes to sleep in. Let's make them married. I think that's so funny about God. So my wife, she can wake up from what I call the sleep coma when you drive. You know how when you go somewhere, you're like, hey, honey, we're going to have a joy ride. It's a 12-hour trip, you know, and so I'm sleeping by my, I'm driving by myself now. Does anybody else have a wife like that? Thank you. I'll see you at the altar. Matt, I see that hand. Ashley, you're under the bus. All right. So that's my wife. Well, but she has an amazing sense of direction. I do not. So I want to tell you one of about a thousand stories, a thousand. Danielle can tell you the other 999. I was going to visit someone in the hospital in Pittsburgh, okay? This is a friend of mine. He had surgery. I go to the hospital, which, first of all, Pittsburgh, come on, give me a little bit of grace. (laughs) Has anybody driven in Pittsburgh ever? Has anybody ever wanted to drive off a cliff after driving in Pittsburgh? Yes. I come out of the hospital. I'm driving, and I see uh, this sign. That is the name of the street on my phone. I kid you not, it is the name of the street minus one letter. So one really smart individual decided to name the street that's just before the street that I need with an E at the end. So I took a right. I didn't know it was the tram road. So I went down this road and suddenly the road's getting tighter and there's like this little cement cliff off the side and a a bus like... You know, this huge train thing just flies by me, and suddenly I'm terrified because I can't go forward and I can't go back. And with my personality, I'm like, I'm just going to keep going. So 
I just kept going forward, but the problem is the road got more narrow. And so finally, I just froze. I had gone completely the wrong way. And then, you know, as I'm inching forward, I see this little blue sign that says, you know, don't enter. <laughs> I'm like, that's where I am. And so I waited about 10 minutes, and a policeman came over, yelled a few pleasantries uh, out his window, and then guided me back in slow reverse. I am not kidding. Almost died. So you're welcome for that. For anybody who has gone the wrong way, that was the worst time I've gone the wrong way. Why do I tell you that? God has a perfectly timed plan. God is executing that plan. Jesus is the way and the only way. So everybody say this with me. Jesus is the way. Well, Jesus comes at just the right time. In fact, let's read scripture. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these days, everybody say now, in these days he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things. Don't you just love reading scripture? I always tell people that's like half my job. I feel like it's just, I just get to read scripture. We get to celebrate the word of God. Look at this. Through whom he made the entire universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory. I was telling a young man who was struggling um, in, in the basement last night, we were talking with some friends, and I said, listen, at the end of all of these difficult questions is this. If you will just focus on the sun, he is the radiance of God. All your questions start to dissipate if you will behold the Lamb of God. Amen? I know that sounds too simple, but that's really what the Word tells us. Okay, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. This is why I say often here, you want to know what God is like. Look at Jesus. Okay. after he provided purification for sins, Jesus sat down at the right hand of majesty in heaven. So he became much superior to the angels as the name as inherited uh, that is superior to theirs. So Jesus, God's son, has always been in the mind of God as the means by which we would be saved and united with our creator. Do you realize this morning that you are created in the image of God? You have a purpose. You, you're not here an accident. You are made by God, hear me, for God. I like the way John Piper says it. I'm not usually a Reformed guy. I'm a Pentecostal, but I'm a Baptocostal, so I listen to them all. But John Piper says it like this. You were made for the joy of God, just for the joy, just for the fun of it, that God wanted relationship with you. The Gospel of Matthew in particular, though, gives us a lot of these prophecies about Jesus coming, what it would look like, what it would be like, who would be there. Matthew 1.22 introduces this common statement where he wrote, So all this was done that might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets. Okay, so can you picture that? You have a lot of these prophets who are sent as the messenger, faulty, not perfect, but yet the voice of God messenger, the vessel. None would be perfect until Jesus comes, but the messenger nonetheless of God. So look at this first one, Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, that God is with us. One of the most fascinating names of God, that in the midst of your questions, in the midst of grief, in the midst of anger, just give me a nod if you've ever had anger at life, anger at God. Do you know in the midst of all that, God kneels down and he's right there with you, Emmanuel. He's not distant. He's not far. 
saying, what's wrong with you? He's near to you. Amen? Don't you love that? Spoken by the prophets. Look at Isaiah 7. In reference to the birth of Jesus, Matthew cited a specific prophecy from Isaiah made 700 years. Everybody say 700 years. Do you realize God is outside of time? So 700 years in advance, God spoke these words. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14. That's the verse that I gave one time. Uh, speaking of Reformed, I was, I was booked for an event and the speaker in front of me, I was um, the band and... For some reason, he wanted, he wanted to get into a good the- theological discussion, which 99% of the time uh, is really, really beautiful. But he had kind of angst in his voice, and he said something real snarky. I don't know how you guys believe in miracles. And I said, Do you, well, how was Jesus born? And he goes, well, you know how Jesus was Yeah, but how was he born? You know, a virgin. I'm like, so that's a miracle, you know. So it's really hard to believe Jesus was born a miracle but not believe God does miracles. Come on, somebody. Okay, so that was a fun conversation. But Jesus can do anything. God can do anything. Just as foretold, the Virgin Mary indeed did conceive, Matthew 1.21. He bore a son, named him Jesus, Emmanuel, right? This amazing event demonstrates one of many times that God knew what was going to happen. God appointed what was going to happen. After Christ's birth, the Magi arrived in Jerusalem. Herod gathered the chief priests. And the scribes and asked them where the Messiah was going to be born. His kingship, his authority was threatened, right? Because the word was that a king was born, that a king of the Jews would be born. And Herod did not want another king, right? So they responded by citing an Old Testament prophecy, pinpointing Bethlehem as the birthplace of this Jewish Messiah. But you, O Bethlehem, land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people. So can you imagine your King Herod and your advisors are coming to you saying, hey, it's not just that there's a rumor, it's that there's a prophecy too, that out of Bethlehem, there will come a ruler, a king, and Herod's going, I'm the ruler. I want to make sure you understand, if you're a guest with us today, that there is only one supreme ruler. His name is Jesus. Come on, there's only one king. So even your favorite politician, can I tell you, I have bad news for you. One day they will be outvoted, okay? And kings, and they go. Rulers come and go. But Jesus, everybody say Jesus, remains forever, all right? Herod's murderous response of slaughtering the young boys was prophesied by, G- by Jeremiah. If you got your notes, if you got a pen, Jeremiah 31, 15. Jeremiah 31, 15. A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, great mourning, as Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. That was a prophecy about this horrific genocide. The original context of this philosophy had to do with the mothers of Israel, right? Grieving over the deportation of their sons. These mothers are personified as Rachel, the mother in the days of these patriarchs whose sons Joseph and Benjamin had also been threatened with being no more, carried off to Egypt. The second prophecy fulfilled, resulting from Herod's paranoid rage, took place after Joseph took Mary and Jesus to Egypt. Upon the return, God's words to Hosea were fulfilled. Out of Egypt, 
I called my son. So how was Jesus born in Bethlehem but out of Egypt? Isn't it interesting how God moved Jesus to fulfill all of these prophecies? Even one that's not in my notes today, that he would be Jesus of Nazareth growing up as a young adult in Nazareth. The final prophecy discussed by Matthew pertaining to the events of this had to do with his home, again, in Nazareth, Matthew 2, verse 23. So I want to go now to this moment where Jesus is standing before Caiaphas. We're going to fast forward 33 years, okay, after Jesus is born. So he's, he's lived, he's, he's taught, he's, he began his ministry. He's about to be crucified, He's taken before the high priest, which I love what Hebrew says about that, and we'll go there in one second. But Caiaphas says, are you the one? Are you the one? And it reminded me of what Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Do you believe I'm the one? And what you have to realize is when Jesus responds with I am, He's responding with that voice of God, the same voice that told Moses, I am. And the priest is so infuriated, he rips his clothes. How many of you guys remember this, this, right? He rips his clothes. Do you know what struck me? As I felt read to, to, uh, led to reread that, was, you know, why would Jesus come? He came to be the high priest. What does the priest do? Connect us to God. In that moment, what Jesus was telling the high priest, and Pastor Jason, I never hit me until I read it this time. You're just a symbol. You're just wearing these clothes. But Jesus says, I know you have the, the high priest clothes on, but I'm the high priest. Now you can see why he just rips his clothes. Jesus is the high priest that connects us to God. In fact, Hebrew says he's not only the high priest who offers the sacrifice, he's also the sacrifice. Jesus is all. That's why our mission statement here, we're leading people to follow Jesus. Everything in your life is about Jesus. If it's not for Jesus, it is purposeless. That's a good spot for an amen. Let's try this side. If it's not for Jesus, it's purposeless. Amen? amen? Thank you, Pastor Dave. Appreciate that. So Jesus is the way, and he is the only way. That's what he was telling Caiaphas. He, he was saying, I know you have this Jewish tradition. I know you've studied the Torah. I know you've studied the law. But all of that points to me. It's like what Jesus said in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus, right? He's walking with these guys and he tells them, hey, do you remember Jeremiah? You remember Isaiah? Do you remember all of these prophets? They all point to me, Jesus says. Jesus is the way. Say this with me. Jesus is the way and the only way. Now, you have to get that in your spirit because somebody at the water cooler or at the coffee break at work is at some point somebody's going to try to tell you, yeah, but you have to understand, like, I'm a really good person or my neighbor or my teacher or, you know, my friend who's a teacher at the university, like, he's a really good guy. I promise you he's going to heaven. He's not going to heaven unless he repents of his sin and says Jesus is the way. Does that make sense? And I'm reiterating it because we live in a culture of universalism, of good works, that as long as your good works outweigh your bad works, as long as, you know, you're going to get to that place, 
And a lot of Americans, and hear me, a lot of Americans that even sit in evangelical churches have a very Oprah Winfrey theology. They really do. The, the polls have been taken by Christianity Today and Barna that it's shocking how many people sit in even in Assemblies of God Church and when asked, are there multiple ways? Often there is, well, yeah, but Jesus is kind of like the way, but I mean, you, you know, as long as you're like a really good person, it's just not true. Jesus is the only way. Jesus is freeing the captives. No one else can free the captives. Jesus died for sin and was the only one able to die and be perfect, be blameless, and it matter. You realize if a sinner dies for sin, okay, but a perfect, the perfect son of God who never sinned died for our sins. Is that good news to anyone? Think about even this timing of John the Baptist, his cousin, born at just the right time to set a precedent, to be the forerunner. Think about Zechariah and Elizabeth waiting for a miracle in that just the right time. Just curious. Let's, let's contextualize this. Has anybody ever had God do a miracle at what seemed like the last, the last minute? Right? In fact, maybe in your small groups or maybe invite someone over for lunch today or do what I do. I just do the Jesus, um, Zacchaeus, I just invite myself, you know, just, you know, dinner at your place, right? And then they feel obligated. And so you just, you just go. Bring all the kids, you know, everything. Um, <laughs> go wild. Um, that's what I do. And ask them that. When did God show up at just the right time for you? And that can create a really cool conversation. Okay, number two, God reveals what he is like through sending Jesus. God reveals what he is like. Do you know a lot of your neighbors want to know what God is like? Some of your neighbors feel God is very harsh. I'm reading a good book right now called Theological Worlds, where there are basically these different paradigms where if someone grows up, right, in a very abusive home and it's difficult, they view God as the abusive father. That's their theological world view. If someone grows up with a high performance, high judgment, often a high rating type you know, lifestyle, that's their upbringing, how do they view God? I better measure up to get in. Everybody has these different theological worldviews, and they want to know, what is God really like? I'll tell you what God is really like. He's just like Jesus. So if you ever have a conversation with a friend, or maybe you're a guest today, and that's you, and you're saying, I don't know if God can be trusted. Someone told me that this week. Jordan, I just don't know if I can trust God. God can be trusted. Jesus is good. Jesus reveals how good God is. When the woman is caught in adultery, Jesus says, drop your stone. Think about that. God is good. He's gracious. But let's talk about this exclusive, exclusivity of Jesus. Turn to John. This is our key verse for the month. John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verse 1. If you got it or if you're looking at the screen, say, got it. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. 
The gatekeeper opens the gate for him. The sheep will listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they, again, hear his voice. Can I just interrupt myself real quick and say, you can hear the voice of God. If you come from a background that was, no, you have to let the priest can read the Bible to you, and that's it. The priest can tell you what God is like, and that's it. That's not accurate. You can hear the voice of God. Turn to your neighbor right now. Look him in the eyes and say, you can hear the voice of God. And I know what you're thinking. No, that, in fact, what, what, when that argument has been made, sometimes the opposition will say, well, how arrogant to think you get. No, how humbling. No, no, no. We're grateful and we're humbled that the shepherd gets to talk to us. You see what I mean? It's the opposite. It's not arrogant. It's, it's humbling to know that the shepherd wants to speak to us. Okay, getting ahead of myself. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was saying. Therefore, Jesus said again, truly, I tell you, I am the gate. Everybody say the gate. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. That's our key verse in three weeks. Can I tell you something real quick? Can I just have an aside and say, let me, let me first ask, does anybody in here today have a friend who's had a really hard year? Does anybody? About five of you? Okay, about 30 or 40 of you. Let me ask again, because I really want you to think. Do you have a friend that's had a really difficult year? Hardships. Please invite them on December 17th. Please invite them December 17th, because that's going to be a week where we talk about what this means. That only in Jesus do you find pasture, peace, where he takes your questions and he takes your anger. Amen? I am the good shepherd, he says. The shepherd lays down his life for a sheep. Let's back up. I missed the most important line. Number nine, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and out and find pasture. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's Satan. Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and life to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not know the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus reiterates a third time, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. I want to reiterate, you can know God. Tyler, you can know God. You can hear God's voice. Jalen, you can hear God's voice. When you're making art, you, you're here, you can hear God's voice. Brandon, you can hear God's voice and do what he says. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Jesus is the way. What makes Jesus the high priest, what makes him the only gate, is he's sent from the Father, full of truth and love. And there's no other way into heaven apart from Jesus. And you say, well, how, how arrogant, you know, the, the agnostic or the irreligious would say, yeah, but that's so arrogant of God to say that. No, it's only arrogant if you don't realize who he is. 
It's only arrogant if you don't realize who he is. Jesus isn't arrogant. He's truthful. He is the truth. He is God. And so it is in his right to say, I'm the only way. Does that make sense? He's the king who lays down his life. Again, he didn't have to lay down his life. He chose to. In fact, he even said, it's not taken from me. I willfully lay it down. Number three, Jesus is the way to the Father who came at just the right time. Can you all say this with me? Say this with me. Jesus is the way to the Father who came at just the right time. Galatians 4, verse 4. This is our key verse for today. In the fullness of time, God sent forth the Son. In the fullness of time. Again, think about this, 400 years of silence. If you go back 700 years, you have Isaiah, who's misunderstood like every other prophet. That's why you got to be careful about uh, somebody, if you're feeling conviction on, on maybe on certain speakers, be careful not to judge them because uh, like all of God's prophets were misunderstood. So be very slow to judge someone. But 700 years before Prophets like Isaiah were saying he will be born of a virgin. He'll be born in Bethlehem. He'll be raised in Nazareth. All of these things are appointed. Every say appointed. Let's read the whole passage. Galatians 4, verse 1 through 7. Just open your Bibles or Bible app if you want to follow along with the whole passage. What I am saying is that long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and the trustees until the time is set by the father. Keep in mind, the father doesn't disclose, right? He doesn't give away the inheritance until he decides to do so or until he passes away. So also we were under that. We were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But I love when you see comma, but in the Bible, right? Here's comes good news. But when the set time had fully come, God sent forth his son, right? Jesse just read this a little bit ago, that God sent forth his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. But you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba. Now, forgive me if I use this illustration with Lucas too much, but I can't help myself in this passage. Come on. Do you know what I've been telling Lucas lately when I put him to bed? I'm so glad I'm your dad. And the first time it took him a minute to find the right word, but now each night he goes, I'm glad I'm your son. And it doesn't matter what he does. He could totally blow it, Ray. He, actually, yesterday he kind of ticked me off, to be honest with you. I was listening to a mix from the previous Friday, and he goes, a song, and he goes, oh, Dad, your song is terrible. <laughs> I was like, thanks, buddy. Just warm my heart, you little goober. That's what he said. He goes, you're listening over and over and over, just like that. And he said it again. He goes, it's terrible. I was like, you know, son, I'm sorry that you hate my music. I am so sorry but I still love you. That's a funny illustration of what I'm trying to say. I don't go, well, this adoption thing is off. Of course I don't. It doesn't even cross my mind. Do you guys get what I'm saying? 
And some of you guys grew up in, in a lifestyle and a theology that you think you have a bad day and God just writes you off. Come on, you've been adopted. When you have a bad day, God the Father just looks at you in the rearview mirror and is like, what a goose. What do you want for dinner? You know what I'm saying? He's still providing for you. He's still your God. And I'm not giving you license to sin. Don't misunderstand me. What I'm saying is sometimes you're going to have a bad day and you're going to think something and even say something dumb, right? And, and in the moment, you should repent. Or if you're, like, <laughs> if you're like Lucas, what he said the other day, I said, you need to say you're sorry. He goes, I'm not ready yet. I'm like, well, you just think about it for an hour. <laughs> Some of you guys are like Lucas, right? You're just like, I'm not ready to repent. Well, God is going to patiently wait for you. But he loves you the same. He, he, do, he doesn't love the perfectly behaved child more. This isn't in my notes, so I feel the Holy Spirit's speaking right now. I hope, it, are you guys feeling okay right now? Do you understand that a lot of people grow up with a very performance-based theology? And you honestly were inferred by a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or somebody that you had a bad day, and on that bad day, you crossed the line, and maybe you're not saved anymore. That is bad theology. It's very bad theology. That is not the gospel. The gospel is this line of salvation was crossed, not by you, but by Jesus. Come on, when God the Father sees you, he sees the Son. He sees the Son. That's the gospel. He sees you. That's good news. That's why we call it good news. Amen? I mean, I preach myself happy. All right. Sometimes we have silence, right? I was thinking about this timeline, and I'm writing this out. I'm like, man, 400 years. And I thought, that's how a lot of people feel. They feel God is silent. Have you ever had a time when you were praying for something, and it just took really long, almost a little too long, for that answer, right? Come on, right? And there are times when we, God feels silent. God feels a million miles away. Please hear me. That doesn't change who God is. It doesn't change his love for you. Amen? I don't want to message anyone, Siri. Hold on. I don't want to message anyone. Stop. Okay, thank you for canceling that message. All right. <laughs> it just said you're welcome. Just go away, Siri. All right. What am I going to say? What was I going to say? Sometimes we don't get a visit from the angels, right? Like, I, I, when I read the word, I try to really go there in my mind. And you have to know that there were shepherds visited by a myriad of angels. So bright light, bright sound, singing. You, you don't go home and be like, eh, maybe God's real. Right? I mean, you just saw 10,000 angels singing. Okay? But you have to realize there are people who didn't have a visit from angels. Right? And they're like, really? A baby? Born where? Uh-huh. Oh, 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 she wasn't married? Oh, she never had sex. Oh, wow, that's a great story. That's a great story. I'm not going to believe that. And there are people who are, they're not visited by angels. So their questions and their anger at God and this, God's answer is a virgin birth. 
it's bizarre, so it's very hard for them to wrap their mind around that. And it's hard for them. And in those moments, you got to not write off those people. You need to pray for them. And you need to befriend them and have them over for dinner and show them what Jesus is like. Amen? One of those people is Nicodemus. Turn to John 3. He comes to Jesus at night. Some of his peers, the Pharisees, had also trusted in Jesus. Not most of them, but the scripture says some of them had. So Nicodemus is a high-ranking official in the religious sect, and he comes to Jesus. At night, so he's probably embarrassed of his asking. He's even embarrassed of his curiosity, and he sneaks up to Jesus. Hey, Jesus. Now, don't you love Jesus' response? I love how non-judgmental Jesus is. This kind of gets to the point I was making a minute ago, right? Jesus doesn't go, well, where were you in the crowd, buddy? He doesn't do that, right? You can almost see Jesus just looking right at Nicodemus, just friend to friend. Yeah, man, what's on your mind? You see what I mean? And in that moment, he's face to face with the creator of the universe, flesh and bone. And he says, hey, is this for real? Are you, are you really the one? Are you the Messiah? Is, is, are you really the way? He's asking these honest questions, and Jesus tells him, you got to be born again. Now, this really messes with him. Now, you guys hear it, and you guys are familiar with the phrase. How many of you guys have ever heard the word the born again? Just raise your hand if you've ever heard the phrase born again. If you've Raise your hand if you've heard it over 100 times. Okay, imagine it's the first time you've ever heard this. You come up to Jesus you're already very inquisitive. You have a lot of anxiety about even visiting him. And you ask him, what is this whole thing about? And he's like, you need to enter your mother's womb. Right? You need to be like born, but one more time. And Nicodemus is like, how could that? And Jesus said, hey, Jesus is saying, I will make you born again. I'm going to make you a completely new person. It's not that you need different behavior different hoops, different laws to cross off your list. It's that I'm going to make you a completely new person. Isn't that amazing? And that's what Jesus does for us. In fact, let me just ask, how many has, you've had God make you a new person? Right? Look around the room. Just look around the room, church. Isn't that beautiful? God has changed us to be the person that we want to be. A lot of times people have regrets about their past decisions, and then God changes us into the person that we know we want to be, and namely the, the person he wants us to be. But only Jesus. Let me end with this. Jesus is the way rejected by many, received by some. So many who are atheists and irreligious or, like we said a minute ago, they have anger at God. They, they've seen too much. They've, they grew up in a very harsh household. Or even worse, they grew up in a harsh, house, harsh household but then also had a religious-type leader, right, push them down or condemn them or even put guilt on them in front of people. That happens, believe it or not, way more than you would guess. I want to tell you something for those people that say there simply isn't any evidence for a good God, that statement often leaves the Christian, most of us anyway, unable to respond. So I want to give you five ways. Okay? Everybody hold up five, 
but not five hands. That would be a little strange. Hold up uh, five fingers. Okay, number one. God is the best explanation as to why anything exists. So when you're talking with a friend this Christmas, and the reason I'm trying to give you some, not only for those of you that are guests today, but for those of you that are following Jesus. So one more time, how many of you are following Jesus? You've been born again, right? But if I were to ask, keep our hands up, a lot of times we don't know what to say to our friend around Christmas season who is asking, why are we going to church and why are we even a Christian? Number one, God is the best explanation of why anything exists. This is why many of the agnostics still actually believe that there was a bang. There was a big bang, they believe. Because why? Nothing doesn't create something. They know the law of cause and effect. Something creates something. So it takes a stretch of faith to either believe God, in the beginning God, or in the beginning, bang. In the beginning God, or in the beginning, bang. My choice is in the beginning, God. Right? So get them thinking about that. Number two, God is the best explanation of the fine-tuning of the universe. Intelligent life. I mean, just look at Dave Brock. He's the epitome of intelligent life. God, that's, exi- that's a proof of God's existence. Thank you for being my illustration. You're welcome. Yeah. I don't know why what, you're welcome to yourself, myself. I don't know why it just happened. Anyway, the point is, oh, so Erwin McManus said it this way, this last week. I love him. He's a, great, he's a great author. I've been following him for a long time. He said, you know what's amazing? A beaver will always build a dam, you know, right? Because they're made to do what God made them to do. But a human can create a new future for themselves and their family. God puts in you that ability to imagine. God, think about that. It takes a huge amount of faith that a bunch of just cosmic stuff exploded and there are imaginative, creative humans on the earth. Right? Think about it. God's God's ability to fine-tune the universe for you to drink water, which is what? Two parts hydrogen? What is it? Help me out, somebody. One part oxygen? Nailed it. Whatever you guys said. <laughs> and it's perfect for you. Like, you should be blown away by that. Right? How about the oxygen level that you're breathing right now? How many of y'all breathed in the last 40 minutes while I was preaching? Did anyone have a coughing fit because the oxygen level suddenly plummeted 40%? Besides Will, because he's out of shape. But um, other than that, I'm bringing it back, man. You, you got me. And then Jason did too. He was preaching. He's like, oh, yeah, Jordan's going to start gaining weight and out of shape. I know you guys, I'm just going to bring it right back to you. But my point is you're breathing perfect air because of the fine-tuning of the universe. To me, that's God. You guys okay? All right, number three. Number three, objective moral values that are objective. We're going to talk about this more next week. The person who believes relativism, we're talking about Jesus is the, is the uh, truth next week. Relativism, which is my truth is my truth. Have you guys heard this? This got really popular in the last four years. Oh, that's my truth. Has anybody heard that phrase? No such thing. Right now, I can have my feelings and my experiences, but there's no such thing as my truth, which is different from your truth, because there's only truth, right? Now, that relativism only works, hear me, 
until, until you or your loved one are harmed. Right? What's right for me is right for me and wrong for you is wrong for you. Until you take my kid's toy. You can't take my kid's toy. Oh, who's to say that? Who's to say that theft is wrong? How do you objectively know theft is wrong? Because there's a God who has a high moral value who has listed stealing as one of his no's. That's why you intrinsically know if someone steals from you, you're like, hey. (laughs) Right? Objective moral values. Number four. We're going too fast. You guys okay? Number four. God is the best explanation of historical facts concerning Jesus. In Tim Keller's book, Reasons for God, a great book, a great book for apologetics and just understanding, you know, is is there proof of God? Up to 500 people wrote down eyewitness testimony of Jesus appearing to them. Let me say it again. 500 people wrote down eyewitness testimony of a resurrected Jesus appearing to them. Guys, that's a big deal. By the way, to convince followers, disciples, to follow you after you've been crucified for your claims, but to still follow you, that to me, again, is proof of Jesus. And number five, right? God can personally be known and experienced. How many of you have been personally experienced God? How many of you have had this loving God graciously show up in your life? That's evidence for God. So when, your friend, when you invite your friend to Christmas Eve and he says, man, I'm just not a religious person, that you, do use the, you, know, you do your thing, just ask him, hey, why? And often they'll say, well, there's not really any evidence for God. You're like, I got five. Pastor Jordan set me up. He equipped me. Here we go. Let's go through them again. Hold out, your, hold out your hand. Not all five hands because you only have two. Thank you, Jesus. Number one, say this with me. God's the best explanation of why anything exists. Number two, God's the best explanation of the fine-tuning of the universe. Right? Number three, objective moral value. How do you know something's right or wrong? Right? Because if you're the judge, now it's going to change next week when you feel different. Number four, God is the best explanation of historical facts. Think about Israel, Jerusalem, the fighting that's been there for centuries. God's word says that would happen. And number five, God can be personally known and experienced. Okay? Millions of people worldwide tell stories about Jesus changing their heart and changing their life. Amen? And I want to give you that opportunity right now. I want you to bow your heads. Maybe you've never let God change your life. Maybe you've never received his adoption offered to you. And maybe you've believed that as long as you were a pretty good person, that you're going to go to heaven You see, if we were to really zoom out and set this precedent, what I know about you is that you know you're going somewhere when you die. Every human does. Ecclesiastes 3, 11 says, God set eternity 
on the heart of every man. That's why there is no atheist on their deathbed. In your final moments, you know you're going somewhere. And so what I want to ask you today is have you believed that you're going to heaven because you're good enough? I want to tell you, you're not good enough. No one is good enough. I'm not good enough. The, the nicest person that you know is not good enough. And here's why. God's heaven is perfect. It's sinless. So there's no sin allowed in. And Jesus is the only one who came from that place. He's the only one perfect. He's the only one sinless. And the Bible says he was even tempted to sin in every way like we. But he didn't. He was obedient to the Father. Hebrew says it like this, even obedient unto death. Why? So that you and I could be his brothers and sisters. So that his Father could adopt us and give us his last name. Guys, more than I am last name Beal, I'm Christian. I'm child of God. That's who I am. And when you understand this, it changes your life because you could, you could be dropped out of a plane in Asia and you're still a child of God. You could, have your, you could have your job taken away and instead of going into absolute panic attack, you go, oh, I'm a child of God. Like the peace that you want in your life can only come from the revelation of sonship. That father has loved you and adopted you. So if you need to give your heart to Jesus, you need to repent of your sin and admit your need for God, can you just raise your hand? And we want to pray with you. And maybe you're watching this video online. We're going to pray with you. Can you accept Christ watching this, this video? Yes, you can. Absolutely. I just have a gut feeling someone's going to be watching this video. Can we pray? Uh, can we pray the prayer of salvation all together? Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We're thankful that at just the right time, you sent your son, your perfect son, to die for my sins. Thank you for the way that you spoke through the prophets. Thank you for the way that you spoke through your son. Thank you, Jesus, for coming, for dying in my place, for raising to new life and giving me resurrection life. I choose to follow you. Help me follow you. Give me strength, Holy Spirit. When days are hard, give me strength to trust you. Thank you for your goodness and your compassion towards me. In Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. God is so good.